Ruby Ryder here. Welcome to Pegging Paradise Podcast number 293 on October 26, 2022. Changing the world one ass at a time. My mission here at Pegging Paradise Podcast is first and foremost to spread the word about pegging. I offer you accurate information to dispel the common myths and misconceptions. Basically, I spread the knowledge so that you can get onto the thrill of spreading your cheeks or your partners. Another part of my mission is encouraging you to explore your out-of-the-box sexual interests without shame or embarrassment. Shame is the silent saboteur of sexual satisfaction. Don't let it stop you from delving into the world of pegging and any other consensual safe kink that calls to you. The journey can be exhilarating, breathtaking, and life-changing. If you would like to support this mission, become a patron of my work. All patrons have access to the podcast a day early, as well as a 24-7 chat channel full of pegging aficionados from all over the world. Rewards for the various levels of monthly support include written and audio erotica to titillate and instigate. Click the Donations button on my website. You can also make a yearly one-time donation and receive the same benefits as a monthly patron. Another way to support my work is by shopping at EnticeMe.com, the little black dress of pleasure products. Head over to EnticeMe and peruse a meticulously curated selection of luxury, body-safe, non-toxic toys, specifically chosen for your thrills and satisfaction. For free shipping of your entire purchase, use the coupon code RIDER, that's R-Y-D-E-R. Need help figuring out which pegging equipment is the best choice for you? I offer free equipment phone consultations for customers of EnticeMe, and you will be supporting my mission of spreading cheeks around the world. Okay, for this podcast, I have a special thing for you. It's been a while since I've done an interview. And this time, I have an interview with Lex. So let me tell you about who this person is. Lex is a highly intelligent, eternally curious person with a deep knowledge of chemistry, product design, physics, engineering, and lucky for us, longer and deeper toy play. (laughs) This is one of those you may listen to several times, this podcast, because there's so much here. Enjoy. So now I want to welcome to another interview, this lovely friend of mine named Lex. And what we're going to talk about today is all kinds of interesting stuff about anal exploration. I guess that's probably the word that I would use that encompasses the subject we're going to talk about the most. And a lot about exploring further than just the regular pegging stuff, just the regular, um, dildo in the rectum type of thing and going further, which is what I teach in my advanced webinar. So I would like to give a warm welcome to Lex. Welcome to the show. And thank you for coming on and giving us all kinds of wonderful information, which I'm sure is going to be forthcoming. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for the welcome. I'm happy to share my experiences. I'm I'm flattered and happy to uh, engage. (laughs) Wonderful. So let me ask you some basics first. How do you identify sexual orientation and gender orientation? Uh, I identify as heteroflexible male. My pronouns would be he, him, etc. Married for 40 years to an amazing woman (laughs) and uh, in a polyamorous uh, relationship, actually, since about 20 years. Wonderful. And so 
jumping right in, so to speak, I mean, the puns will abound, of course, but jumping right in, <laughs> describe to me, please, sort of your first um, playing around with anal exploration. How did that happen? At what point in your life and that kind of thing? Tell us the story. Well, it's a good question. You know, I hope my answer is not too long, but basically when I was a kid, even, you know, post pubescent, you know, 13, 14 years old, I was curious because I was aware that, you know, well, gay people, you know, have anal sex or, or, you know, it wasn't in those days something that straight people even mentions and they had no access to that because this would be in the uh, late sixties, early seventies. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I thought, well, what's it like? I wonder, maybe there's something there. And so I, you know, like broomstick with saran wrap and Vaseline when mom went to the market kind of a mm-hmm. thing. And it was like, ew, I don't like this. This doesn't feel good. <laughs> and I, I kind of, uh, you know, lost my interest at that point very quickly. Um, and then, you know, as my development continued, as I started to get more mature, um, I never really was inclined that way, even though I was highly sexual and, you know, plenty of partners and things like that. Never really went there. And so uh, another thing is that, you know, nowadays anal sex is very prominent in por- the porn world and in, you know, um, sex ed- sexual education that is mm-hmm. not strained by some other philosophical boundary. But uh, in those days, it really wasn't. So um, I never had much of an interest in it. And, and then, you know, as porn became more available online, frankly, mm-hmm. developing, I started seeing it out there a lot more and, and starting to realize that a lot of guys are getting pleasure from this and women too, you know, it's like, this may be something I should take another look at. But what age were you at that point? I would say this would be in my later 20s, you know, even early 30. Uh-huh. Uh, I got married at 35 in 1985. Uh, we got married, but we'd been together about three and a half years before that. So it was really before I met my, my wife um, and started dating. So it would be, say, previous to 1982, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I thought, well, maybe I should just give another try, you know. And at that point, um, I hadn't been into a lot of uh, alternative erotic practices the way I am now and have been have been for a while so I just I think I probably bought a really cheap dildo and tried it out with you know like some hand lotion or something unevolved like that <laughs> mm-hmm. and, um, and it was it was not bad you know it was like, uh, it's not the evil thing and, and not as disgusting as I thought it was but it still didn't feel that great to me and in fact I think that's in part because prostate massage for me personally has never really been that pleasurable. It just doesn't work for me the way I think it does for most men. Mm-hmm. This is the way I'm built, I guess. Everyone's different, right? Uh, so I just kind of put it to rest at that point. And then, you know, we got married and I, I started discovering things like uh, a certain level of fetish play, which was really fun. And my, my wife was on board with that. And then um, I decided to take another try at it. And this was only about 12 years ago. So quite a long time between say marriage for as a, as a milestone and the sort of re- resuming of my exploration. Yeah. And, and if we can pause just for a moment, that's an important point for a lot of people to realize is that everybody's experience is different in terms of prostate stimulation. And mm-hmm. yeah, some will just get one finger in there during a blowjob, and the angels are singing and others, it's about different things. It's about different sensations. And they don't have that experience that so many 
anal receptive players talk about uh, that have prostates. So yeah, please continue. That's really well stated. And it's certainly the case with me. Uh, and so in my case, um, I had been in, interested in electrosex for a while and uh, really getting into that and really enjoying that. That's an amazing thing to, to play with. So, uh, so mention just for a little bit what that means. Electrosex would be elect- electrical stimulation uh, for the purposes of erotic. Um, of the bits, and- electric stimulation of the bits. <laughs> and, you know, that's another case where I saw people doing it online. And then I was just thinking to myself, there's no fucking way I'm going to put electricity. <laughs> Guys are crazy, and and then I started, you know, seeing seeing it around. I was curious because I'm curious, and and <laughs> I, I, well, God, these guys are having hands-free climaxes, and I mean, clearly it feels good. It's not like painful or dangerous, apparently. And I mm-hmm. kept re- doing some research, and it's a bit of a story. But I was I was actually in Tokyo on a job, and I went to the electronics market, and I bought a cheap. Uh, kind of massage, electronics massage thing made by Panasonic of all people. And I bought some <laughs> copper wire and some clip leads and, you know, kind of cobbled together with my Leatherman tool in my hotel room, a cock ring and a bass ring. And I turned it on, plugged it in and turned it on and turned it up slowly, fearfully, terrified. And, <laughs> and it came to the point where I started feeling something and it was, oh my God, this feels incredible. Oh. I had a hands-free climax the very first time with this shitty little box, even the power box. Wow. So, you know, and it's easier to stim, we call it stim for short for electrostimulation. Mm-hmm. It's easier to stim men because our bits are so exposed. Yes. And then there is also electronic stimulation of the prostate with an, an anal probe. That's common. That again does very little for me. But with women, it's a lot more challenging um, for a number of reasons. Some of them architectural. Mm-hmm. Others really just design challenges is getting the electronics to the right spot. Anyway, that's the short version. Thank you so, for explaining all that. Okay, so back to your other story. Well, and so, you know, I'm already in a sort of an exploratory state of mind, and it's been my lifestyle, you know, forever being curious. And I'm also a designer, an industrial designer. So for me, this was a kind of a functionality study, you know, how does this actually work? So I bought another toy, a little bit better quality toy, maybe slightly larger, but we're still talking, you know, the width of two fingers and no Uh longer than my hand. So, you know, human scale, should we say. And, um, and that actually started to feel pretty decent. I thought, well, this is interesting. You know, maybe I should explore a little further. And I thought, well, this feels good. It feels even better when I push it in deeper and maybe I should get a bigger toy. So I got one that was nine inches long instead of seven and then a, and a little bit bigger. And then, you know, got to the point where I had a 10 inch long toy that was almost two inches across. And although that was a little challenging at first, very quickly I adapted to that. You know, the stretching process is should be taken very slowly. So let's pause just for a moment. And I'm curious about the toys. And also I'm curious about, this was all solo play. Yeah, it was solo. Okay, and then the the 10-inch long one, was that a pretty firm toy? Was it flexible? Was it soft? Describe it. Well, actually, no, it was not that flexible nor soft. It was one of these PVC dildos that, you know, was bendy, but I wouldn't call it soft. Got it. And so how did you, did you do any research or, or was there any available at that point in time in terms of 
safety and physiology and stuff like that? Or did you just kind of, did you trust that you were going to be able to experience those subtleties of sensation and be able to keep yourself safe just from that? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, this was, you know, not that long ago. And so silicone toys were pretty widely available already. And I'm kind of a cheapskate sometimes. And I thought, well, I'm not sure I'm going to like this. So I put like a $35 limit on my acceptable level of, of, you know, economic risk. (laughs) So I buy a toy and if I didn't like it, I could cut it up and throw it away and not worry about it. Uh And so I felt okay about that. And, And my choices of materials and toys was limited to some extent by budgetary, um, you know, self-imposed budgetary limitations. And also I was careful because being a product designer, I'm very familiar with materials and the chemistry of them. And and in some cases, the physiological risks or lack thereof. So what I would do is with these vinyl toys, I'd wash them with hot water and soap right before using them to remove the sort of oily film that they rapidly develop. Mm -hmm. That oil is something called the plasticizer. And it's this whole uh, thing about phthalates Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that is so widespread where they're you know considered to be risky uh, for you know some reasons I don't think they're significant reasons but there's reason to be careful and I'm always in favor of people being careful about these things mm-hmm. so I would wash them carefully and in fact I had a couple of toys that I used a few times and then they started to give me sort of a burning sensation around the anus you know when I would use them and I thought that would be the phthalates yep wait a minute <laughs> and I would instantly stop using them. I even did things like I bought it. I buy a toy that was a little bit smoother than I wanted because I enjoy texture. Mm-hmm. And I would take a soldering iron with a brand new tip, no, no lead on it at all. And I would heat it up and, and using the soldering iron, I would draw texture onto the toy. Wow. By just melting the very surface of it, which is simple and easy to do. I would take a heat gun and heat up the surface and it would go all glossy and smooth and wouldn't be rough, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, and I think heating it also accelerated the emergence of that oil uh, and it kind of ruined a couple of toys. But that was an interesting way to modify them for a minute until I realized, you know, I've got no business putting PVC in, into, inside my body. And so although I have one or two toys now that are PVC, I always use them with some sort of covering and I can get into that later. So um, when I was becoming a little more serious about this, I went into two inch wide toys, 14 inches long. And, and then I had the challenge of going deeper. So before we go into the deeper part, what was it that kept you going and kept, uh, and kept you exploring? Because you had mentioned that prostate sensation really isn't that big of a deal for you. So what was it that kept you exploring further? Well, it's kind of... Um, uh, it can be, you know, pretty clear that the prostate sensation for me was not a big deal. Uh, I, I enjoy the sensations where we have sensation, which is around the anus. Uh-huh. That was lovely, and that's why I enjoy texture, um, always with lots of lubrication. Uh, and then I found that when we went deeper, um, there was a point at the end of the rectum where it feels like you hit a wall. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, it's not a wall, it's a sharp corner. You know, if you and I, I'm a student of, of um, physiology, so my anatomy is fairly clear. Uh-huh. But there is a sharp turn there, which is the beginning of the sigmoid colon. It's the, the process between the rectum and sigmoid colon. So there's a little sharp bend there. Getting through that is a matter of pushing something blunt and fairly flexible 
enough to straighten out that little bend. And it feels like a pop, almost like another sphincter in there. And so people call it the third sphincter, which is a complete misnomer. It is not a sphincter. People call it that. <laughs> they feel like that, but it's actually a corner. And it's, um, it's a corner because there is a sort of a sling of muscle t- tissue that attaches to the pelvis and it goes down and around that tube and it goes back to the pelvis. So it's literally like a sling. If you hold your hand in the shape of a U, it's like that. And so when you straighten out that bend, you're sort of tugging on that sling. And that's primarily the sensations that you're, you're going to be feeling. This is interesting because when I teach my class, what you're talking about the, is the puborectalis. Mm-hmm. And all the diagrams that I've seen of it show it attaching to the pubic bone and slinging around the rectum, yeah. like about midway through the rectal canal, as opposed to further back where the rectosabomoid junction is. Mm-hmm. And yeah, which does. is why they sell those squatty potty things. Mm-hmm. To help straighten that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Which could be helpful when you're inserting a toy too, that body. Mm-hmm. No, um, what I'm talking about is, is the actual bend, which is just past that sling. And in most people, that's seven inches in. Very common, almost universally, uh, the distance between the outer surface of the anus and the point at which you hit that bend mm-hmm. or, or transition through it. Now, the first time I went through it, I remember it pretty clearly because it was pretty shocking. I almost thought, oh my God, did I just perforate my rectum? Because it was a sudden sensation, kind of? It is. There's a buildup of pressure as you press more firmly, you know, and you have to make sure there's lots of lube in there so it's safe. But then, you know, suddenly it gives way, especially the first few times you do it. It feels almost like a pop. Like when you're first inserting something into your anus and you go through both, both sphincters and now you're in the rectum, that transition, that resistance drops suddenly and it penetrates. Yeah. And the sensation for me was I could feel kind of a tugging and it felt a little achy and I got crampy immediately and I could feel cramps building up. It was achy, sore. And I listened to my body very carefully and I always, uh, you know, listen to it and obey it, its request. And so I pulled out, you know, immediately and thought, oof, that was, that was rough. Mm-hmm. But on top of that tugging and aching, there was a strong, pleasurable feeling. It was this really kind of rewarding pleasure, deepness, penetration, uh, kind of positive feeling. I, it's hard to describe, really. It just was pleasurable. So not and just so physical. Thought, well, There's yeah. some emotional aspects in there as well. Well, I think it must have been. It didn't occur to me at the time, but. Um, you know, the, the fact that uh, something I learned from you, actually, on the last advanced podcast I listened to, you presented, you talked about the stimulation of the vagus nerve through deeper anal play. And it must have been a, associated with that because this, the effects of that vagus nerve stimulation, as you described them, were increased empathy, a feeling of deep satisfaction. Uh, yeah, decrease um, in depression, um, yeah, yes, more altruistic right. behavior, less egocentric behavior. Yes. Yeah, and that was fascinating to, to learn when you presented that. And I've noticed that very effect on myself and talked about it and mentioned it to my wife and, and you know, people that I do share this, this uh, experience with. And I never knew it was the result of that biggest nerve stimulation. But I suppose that must have been a factor because it was a really attractive kind of thing. It wasn't the kind of physical experience you have and you decide, oh God, I'm never doing that again. It wasn't that. It was it was big, pun intended. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, since we're going there. But 
I, I wasn't, uh, you know, against trying it again. And so, of course, I did. And at that point, I had, you know, this longer dildo, 14 inches long. And so I tried it again. I just did it really slowly. I pushed uh, against that resistance and just slowly, I felt it slowly give way rather than pop through. And there was a lesser pop on this time around, mm-hmm. possibly had done some stretching the first time. And there is a stretching involved with this. You'll find, people generally find that it takes repeated efforts and it gets easier. And, and that's very much like stretching of the anus to, to accept larger diameters. It just takes time. Your body will adapt. Mm-hmm. And so I think it did, and that helped. And I found that once I went through that transition, I could penetrate another four or five inches very smoothly with no resistance and no discomfort. And it just started feeling really, really good. The specificity with which you describe all this is fascinating to me, partly because I teach about the physiology. I teach about that sharp curve. I call it a 90 degree turn. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a doctor. Everybody knows that that listens to this podcast, but I hypothesize that there is that stuff called mesocolon in there, which is that membranous stuff that actually holds everything in your interior body cavity where it's supposed mm-hmm. to be. Um, my theory is that when you are using big toys and you are going through that curve, that you are actually straightening it out, which is a phrase that you used just a little while ago. Yeah. And maybe the first few times you do that, you are actually rearranging things in there. Are you tearing that mesocolon? I don't know, because I'm not a doctor. Well, I've heard it discussed, and generally people believe that, yes, you are, causing small tears in that sort of uh, fibrous scaffold that keeps things in position. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is intended to be uh, mobile and flexible and malleable, because otherwise any, uh, you know, constipation or... Uh, stomach cramping or other organs that, that become enlarged and out of place, they would be, you know, catastrophic if it weren't for that malleability of that scaffolding. Tip. Yes, yes. So don't envision it like something that is rigid and breaks because that's not how the body works inside. No, I think I think rather it's a stretching and an, and an accommodation. So it's like a rearrangement. It definitely is because if you look at images of how the the colon is arranged, the sigmoid colon comes up, it makes the sharp bend at the rectum and begins the sigmoid and it goes to your left and then up the side and then makes a turn towards your right and it goes across the top and then the descent, that's the transverse colon and then the descending colon at which there's another sharp bend begins and that goes down um, to uh, I believe the pancreas and and other you know uh, bits and pieces there. And so when I use for toys, you can see the bulge of my stomach, or if I'm fisted, for instance, deeply, you can see the bulge and it's middle of my chest. It's not on the left side. That's wild. I've seen so porn does, videos like that. And that is just so mm-hmm. wild. It's wild. And to me, it's an incredibly erotic thing. And it just turns me on to see that happening because there's no downside to this. It just feels fantastic. And it's just so crazy to see the toy visible inside your body and of course as as a fisting experience it's an incredibly intimate thing to have with a partner Mm -hmm. having your lover's arm inside your body and not have it be you know negative at all it's just a beautiful thing Mm -hmm. so when you started doing all of the deeper exploration and you got to that point where you did it the second time it was better what were some, were or were there any unexpected kind of uh, results or experiences 
from starting to explore more deeply? Yeah, you know, uh, one of them was even a health benefit where I've been constipated my whole life, even a kid. And, uh, you know, I can eat all the vegetables I want. It's still going to be a problem. Mm. And, um, you know, it always bothered me, of course. And so I found that when I started playing more deeply with anal play, that was greatly relieved. Suddenly I was being more regular and having, you know, no stomach aches or whatever would be, you know, the, the uh, effects of constipation that people would experience. It actually helped, which I thought, hey, this is a bonus. That's wonderful. So well, it's that, like an internal massage. Yeah. I guess so. And, you know, maybe the increasing diameter of the, the conduit itself was helpful. Yeah. That's yeah. possible. I think so, for sure. Um, so that was one thing. But then, you know, otherwise, there was this whole spectrum of sexual play that opened up to me like I had come through a canyon and uh, down a little grade to reveal this lush valley with you know <laughs> ponds and orchards and you know gardens and meadows and all these opportunities for other kinds of exploration or sensations and practice and and relationship interplay with your partner or without a partner or with a machine, you know, the spectrum of possibilities opens up dramatically when you go into this sort of more uh, advanced play, if you will. There's such a stigma with anal receptive, big toy play, especially mm -hmm. for men. I wrote an article mm -hmm. about that. And so I'm, I think my listeners would love to hear how incorporating a partner in that what that might look like, because I think the vast majority of prostate owners who do this do it solo. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if, if that's true. You know, that's a funny question. <clears throat> it's a, it's kind of fun to answer it too, because I I do have fun with it. Um, I've always been pretty open about my you know, should we call it fringe sexual explorations and practices. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, I, love, I love latex. I love electrosex. Um, you know, sensual bondage is great. I don't engage in things like impact play or dominance and submission or humiliation. That stuff just doesn't appeal to me, so I don't go there. But there are other things that are pretty edgy for your normal vanilla setting. Mm -hmm. Now, we, we have had polyamorous relationships uh, with various people over the years, and we have this long-term ongoing relationship with another couple. And they're our dearest friends. We just love each other as friends. And usually we play sexually together. And of course, my wife and I have played toys with me, you know, her toying me, whether strap on or holding a dildo or fisting me. Um, and uh, that has been a really interesting thing to, to explore and to share with, you know, people who are open to that. Mm -hmm. just, just as a footnote, I, I find it, really uncomfortable to share my fetish with people who have not invited it. So let's say I'm going to wear some latex. I, I'll never just go out to the shopping mall and go to the market in a, a latex jeans and a shirt, even, mm -hmm. you know, even though it's street clothes, there's nothing wrong with it. I just don't feel it's fair to people to impose alternative sexualities on them who did not ask or invite uh, that information. Yes, I call that non non consensually inflicting your kink on other people, <laughs> and yeah, sometimes it's a fine line. But you know, yeah. it's just not that's okay. The, I mean, my wife now to continue answering your question. My wife now, you know, knows I play with these giant toys, and some of them are truly off putting, even to me. Um, and she's like, I can't believe you can fit that thing in your ass. It's just how does that? Work? <laughs> 
seen it happen. She knows it goes, but she just, it's just incredible to her. It's incredible <laughs> to me. I mean, I'm the guy doing it and it's still incredible to me. It, and so, that makes it kind of fun actually. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And her, her amazement is not a form of, of disapproval. It's just simply amazement. It's pure amazement. And, sure. Yeah. And, and there is, there's a fun factor there too. You know, I'm, I'm a very creative person and uh, technically creative and, and aesthetically creative and, um, I'm a master craftsman. I can build just about anything, you know, so I'm also coming up with modifying things we have or, or creating things that would really be nice to have. Mm -hmm. And this is just yet another way of being that that's just who I am. It's, it's my personality and that's who she loves. And so it doesn't, it, it doesn't not jibe with who she knows me to be. Mm, that's lovely. So question at this point, um, where did any kind of strap on play come in to this journey that you're taking? Well, it came in mainly because um, I love the idea of not being in charge of having to manipulate the toy myself. Ah. I can squat on a toy all day long, but it's not the same as lying there and having it you know, being pushed into you. I hear that a lot. Yeah. Sure. That makes sense. And, and besides, I love the intimacy of playing with, with a playmate, whether it's my wife or with one of, our, one of the playmates that are in my life or have been in my life. And so I would often... Um, well, not, I wouldn't say often, but I would, let's say, if I have a, a, a woman I'm playing with, you know, that is uh, kind of newish or someone who's sexually uh, open, I would say, you know, I, I really get into this toy play. And, and uh, have you ever thought about, you know, using a strap on? And we could do that if you're curious. And the answer has almost always been yes. Uh, that sounds interesting or fun, mainly because the people that I tend to play with are already sex positive and uh, open to alternatives and creative. You know, those are just the people I'm attracted to mm -hmm. and who would also engage in that kind of relationship. So there is a bit of a self-selecting going on in, in the people that I engage with. Sure. And the so, risk factor is lower because of that. Sure. That, that's right. Yeah. You know, and there's always a risk of rejection, but it's actually never happened. <laughs> Lovely. I had playmates who said, Oh yeah, I was with this guy for three, four years and he would always have me fucking with a dildo strap on harness and he loved it and so they were already there uh it's it's actually i think more common than we might you know be led to believe in certain certain levels of the the demographic yes you know. absolutely so you had mentioned before that prostate stimulation really isn't that big of a deal for you so mm -hmm. is strap on play with more you know i hesitate to use the word normal but smaller size dildos in comparison to what you were talking about with the big toys is is that mainly satisfying certainly the intimacy i can see that as being satisfied but satisfying but do you concentrate more on texture because i know there's a really dense collection of pleasure receptor tissue right there at the opening of the anus mm -hmm. so yeah. is is that part of the satisfaction yeah with texture that's definitely a big part of it and i've also felt that texture of a certain scale uh, you know, uh, slightly more texture than just sort of a skin or leathery surface is also really pleasurable at the bend. Oh, uh, wow. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Especially if it's sort of ripply and there's kind of a rumble going on as it slides in and out of that zone. That, that is, to me, is that's my G-spot. Talk just, more about that. That's amazing. That makes me go off. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, and so also tell me about makes you go off. We haven't even mentioned the word orgasm yet. So, so mm. let's go there. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting one too. You know, very often and, and men in the gay world will, will corroborate this. Um, 
men often don't tend to get hard when they're being fucked in the ass. Right. And in, in I've heard people say, well, that's because it's just so distracting. You know, you're just focused on a completely other different range of sensations and part of the body. And so that has been the case for me too, very often. And so what I, what I like to do, the way that I climax almost always when I'm having anal play is I will have a sheath for my cock that is lubricated and textured inside. It's a real gummy, stretchy sheath. There's a few out there on the market, most of them terrible. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I enjoy having my balls stretched or pulled on too. So I'll have a little stretcher on there and, and the sheath is pre-lubed and just attached to me so it can't fall off. So I don't have to worry about that. And I'll just start stroking myself as I'm getting fucked. And, and that, that combination works together kind of uh, serendipitously in a symphonic way. They're mutually um, enhancing each other. Synergistically. Synergistic. Thank you. That's the word I was actually looking for. <laughs> the synergistic effect there. And then I find that if the, if the pace of the fucking is fairly slow, I can go on for pretty much forever and even not climax. And in fact, some cases I'll just sort of abort the play and stop before I come because my body is starting to tell me, look, it's getting a little sore down here, you're cramping up or whatever. And then I say, oh, okay, I don't have to come. Mm-hmm. So oh. I think that's really important is just don't be attached to your climax because you will have the same level of satisfaction, I think because of this vagus nerve thing we touched on, pun intended. And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, the, for me, the climax is secondary, although it's fantastic. But then if I'm, let's say, using my fucking machine and I crank it from my normal, say, three or three and a half on a scale of 10 up to five or six, and it's going at a rate of more than one thrust a second, that rhythm, that faster rhythm, something changes and the, the rate of stimulation goes way up and gives me a, a heart on instantly and I can come in a matter of a minute of just some stroking. And the quality of that climax is absolutely earth shattering. It is beyond comprehension. You know, you're just this pile of jelly while this thing is hammering away at you from behind and your cock is just, you know, pulsing and super sensitive and, you know, super hard and just in this sheath that every little tiny motion just feels enormous inside that sheath because of the sensitivity of climax and it's just this earth-shaking experience and i have to sort of stop myself and turn the machine down because i'm so paralyzed by that pleasure (laughs) i've heard that you know can't move can't talk can't you know can't do anything so in the past here i have a question when you because when you use the word climax um historically i have listening to the prostate owners i have heard that there is sort of like a cock-centric orgasm, and then there is more like a prostate-centric orgasm. And despite the fact that you edge away from not really um, leaning into the whole prostate satisfaction and pleasure area, these have been described to me as one is your regular cock-centric orgasm spasming, just like when you jerk off. And the Mm. other would be more of like waves of euphoria, like a tingly warm sensation that spreads throughout your pelvis. Mm. And that if you, what I have heard is that if you concentrate on that and don't touch your cock at all, that that can bring on repeated waves of this like 
uh, euphoria that goes through your whole body and you could do it over and over and over again, which is where the phrasing of multiple orgasm comes from. And some of these people who experience this can then go on to jerk off later and have a regular orgasm or do PIV. So how does your experience compare with that description? Yeah, that's interesting stuff. I've, I've also heard exactly the same thing. And um, I've never had a prostate orgasm, you know, one brought on just by prostate stimulation because mm -hmm. of mentioned about not being really, you know, getting pleasure from that. But I, I've also heard about before I got you know, way into play, I started uh, hearing about the anal orgasm, which people swear is a thing. And so I thought, well, this is interesting. You know, I, I have never experienced that myself, but maybe. And so really, after I got a fucking machine, um, that possibility became available because of the fact that this thing would just keep going. I wouldn't have to use my own body to you know, back up on a dildo or squat down on it or whatever, which can distract from your, your engagement in the erotic aspect of it mm -hmm. so what i found was that yeah actually i can start having what i would have to call little small orgasms uh where your body is convulsing rhythmically um and you get these waves of pleasure i wouldn't call it in my case a tingling in the pelvic area at all it was more of just sort of an overwhelming wave of pleasure that's repeating at the rate of like one every two seconds or so it's mm. different it's different from the rhythm of ejaculation, which is 0.8 seconds. It's a little under <laughs> one second. Um, wow. And so it's really different. And there's there's no ejaculation involved. You know, I'm not spouting cum at all. And can uh, it happen when you're not hard at all? Yes, absolutely. And, yeah, yeah. It be, and it will go on for quite a, you know, a few minutes if I continue the stimulation. And I can have as many as I'll allow there to be as I have time for. Yes. And, and so that has become a really wonderful thing to go for. And it really only started happening when I just sort of relaxed and let the sensations happen and didn't try and like make them better or focus on them so much. I just sort of started breathing and, and just feeling sensation and uh, a surrender. Was I've what heard that as well. That is just <laughs> something where you just let go. Yeah, exactly. And I think that also contributes to this feeling of euphoria from possibly the vagus nerve stimulation. That surrender gives you access to a, an ease and a, a lack of attachment to outcome that makes the outcome possible. Oh, that's beautifully stated. Wow. Yeah, I see where I see exactly what you mean. That's, that's amazing. wonderful. And it really ties into the whole surrender of being fucked in the ass. So that's that takes a certain level of surrender. Oh, yeah. Intense vulnerability. Yeah. Mm. And I really enjoy that because I'm a pretty strong person and you know my personality and fairly alpha and you know i've been accused of being leaderful and that sort of thing um <laughs> that's a rumor but uh i i find that, that it's so much fun to just sort of let go and, and that's where the sensual bondage thing comes in too you know being unable to respond to your lover's actions and and they are just pleasuring you and, or using you for their pleasure that is such fun for someone who's you know in charge <laughs> Yes, I hear that over and over and over again. That's that's very common in, yeah. in the dominant submissive play in the BDSM world, that that surrender oh, is sure. something that is so delicious. Well, we don't get to do that much in our regular lives because we can't trust people enough so often. Mm. But the level required for this kind of play is really profound. And 
And that trust opens the possibility to surrender. And, and that also brings on lack of attachment and uh, possibility, openness, of, you know, the options become available. It is, it's so far, everything you've been talking about is so far distant from your typical PIV default that the vast majority of couples start with and get stuck with. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. but it just astonishes me how far this can go. And this is why <clears throat> this is why I wanted to talk to you is because exploring, pushing those boundaries can sometimes be really extraordinary. And, you know, as mm-hmm. somebody who people listen to and trust, I wanted to present all kinds of information so that people can stay safe. That's why I teach that advanced class. So I so appreciate all of this information about how this all happened and what it's like for you. Yeah, you know, it's simple enough to analyze. I'm, like I said, I'm kind of an explorer personality and adventurer experimentalist. Uh, I'm scientific by nature, you know, and so I would not have continued my explorations into all of these interesting alternatives if they had not been rewarding. Mm. They've always enhanced my life so much that I thought, well, that worked out good. So maybe this is interesting too, you know. Each success um, and reward opens possibilities for more. And so my analogy of coming upon a verdant valley with you know, infinite options and possibilities that weren't there before, weren't visible before, is really apt. And it's only made available by my willingness to take a chance and experiment and be open, mm-hmm. just open to what it feels like or what it could bring to a relationship. So in that verdant valley, did you find any bad fruit trees? Did you have any bad experiences that helped shape the direction that you were going and, um, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, you don't get it right all the time. Uh, I bought toys that proved to be completely wrong for me. And, and, you know, what was I thinking? Or this didn't feel the way I thought it would feel. Or um, there are, you know, in, in terms of toy design, the toys which are available, there's a lot of really shitty design out there. Mm-hmm. And, designed based on on the experiences of people who don't have experience who don't understand <laughs> the theology or or oh, fantasy, yeah. <laughs> it's fantasy fulfillments you know and very often i've found certainly in my in our explorations that when i fulfill or try to fulfill a fantasy i'd say 80 percent of the time it just is so disappointing hmm. whether it be attending a swinging club and having sex with anonymous people or being in an orgy or you know, here's a, a three-way or a four-way, you know, that's more about personal chemistry, but very often it's like not what it, what I thought it would be. And maybe I just don't want to be in a group experience or that kind of discovery. <laughs> yes. So those, you know, you start caroming off of uh, things that didn't work and heading off in a different direction, but now you're informed and now you have a greater base of experience. And you've also confirmed that you're, I'm listening to myself and I'm, I'm, you know, you know self-protecting or, uh, self, uh, you know, self-care in the sense of if I buy a toy that is, you know, too large or too stiff and it feels achy and it's, you know, making me cramp up inside or something, I realize this toy just isn't right. It's just not mm-hmm. a good toy. And being yeah. willing to admit that, you know, I'd, I'd spend $50 on a toy and it would feel terrible. And I think, well, is my comfort, pleasure, health, safety, worth $50? It's not much of a conversation. Pretty clear. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. 
Yeah. It's, I mean, spending a bunch on some of those bigger toys too. That's then that's when I tell people, you know, you can sell those big toys as long as they're hundred percent silicone, you can sell those big toys on the subreddit, which is a big forum board for people who don't know. It's Reddit slash used sex toys. You can actually sell those and recoup about maybe 40 to 60% of what you spent. So that's at least one option, but. Yeah, it um, is. I've sold a few uh, toys on, on FetLife with, um, you know, just I post a picture of it and say, this toy's for sale and give some dimensions, mm-hmm. tell them what it's made of and then how I would prepare it. And then people would message me and I've, I've sold a few toys that way. It's been really great. And met some great people in the process. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, it's great. And there's a couple of toys right now I need to get rid of. So, you know, that you'll probably see more of that. From- <laughs> so talk about the importance of lube and having lube inside you, because I remember seeing mm-hmm. something that you had posted somewhere that was, uh, to the best of my ability to describe it, it's like an industrial sort of get the lube in there meant for like um, farm animals. <laughs> and and just a little story in my regard, the, the reason I know a little bit about this is because I used to way, 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 way back work in a veterinary clinic. And I one time went out with one of the vets on a farm call for a birthing cow. And he used one of these big lube injector things and we got that calf out and it was fine. But yes, that's the only reason I know about this. So tell the story. Yeah. Well, you know, of course we all know, or at least I hope we all know that lube is really important. And so mm-hmm. getting it inside of you, you know, before the toy goes in is also really helpful and a really good idea. It's in fact, I'd say it's essential to health. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise you're going to be irritating the lining of your your colon and, and rectum uh, and not even realizing it because we don't have a lot of pain receptors on the surfaces in there. Right. So uh, yes, it's important. And delivery is one thing. And then what you, what lube you're using is a whole other conversation, but we'll talk about delivery. So I mix up my own lube and um, we'll talk about what that is later if you want to, but basically it's in a, like a bicycle water bottle. Yeah. You use it like a powdered lube, J lube. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. right. I use JLube at the moment. I'm transitioning to XLube, a product from Germany, because uh, it's a little simpler chemistry, no sugars. No yeah, there's preserve. one ingredient. There's one yes. ingredient. And allegedly, <laughs> allegedly better, safer, nicer, whatever. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how it goes. I haven't actually tried it yet, but I'm, I'm moving that direction. I, I bought a bottle of it. So meanwhile, I have this squeeze bottle, which is easy to use when your hands are slippery. Um, it has a little pop top you pull and it, it opens up and you just push that top and it closes. So it's easy to use with this really slimy, really sticky, uh, gummy lube. It's and so for, slippery. Oh my gosh. For, for those that don't know, J lube is powder and you mix it with water. You can mix it thicker or thinner, which is nice. And then, um, once it's mixed, you can like dip your finger in some of it and run across the room and you will still be connected to the bottle. <laughs> it's so stringy. Oh my God. It's stringy. Crazy, crazy. But it's also very cushioning. It's very, very slippery. Um, it dries out because it's water-based. But if you just spritz water on it with like a little spray bottle, you, it's instantly awake again. It's really cool. So, you know, it's a good way to go. So getting it inside of you, I used to use these lube shooters you can buy. They're usually like blue plastic syringe-like things with a sort of softer tip and all that. And they are just shitty designs. I'm sorry, but they're just terrible product designs. 
Well, it seems as if they, yeah, they don't have enough. First of all, they don't get it far enough up inside you. I think that they might be perfectly fine if you're just going to be doing rectal play. But going up as far as you are, yeah, you need something more is what I'm thinking. Well, that's true. They don't hold enough. And I don't think they hold enough even for rectal play personally. But that's a personal preference. Um, But uh, they also tend to break really quickly and they're overpriced for what they are. It's just, I think it's a really abusive um, market out there for these things, abusive of the consumer. So my friend that one of my regular playmates is, she lives on a farm and she has a horse (laughs) and she was a veterinary assistant for a while. There you go. (laughs) She uses and recommends something called a drench, D-R-E-N-C-H, like a drench. Rain. And a drench is a veterinarian tool that's basically a syringe with a metal tube for a tip that's about four or five inches long. And the tip has what they call an olivine tip or an olive shaped tip. So it's a little round, rounded bulb of stainless steel. So it can't pierce anything. Hmm. So it's not like a hypodermic or, or say a barbecue, uh, you know, marinade shooter that you'd shoot into your turkey. It's, it has a, a lure lock tip, which is a medical syringe design that it's a push and twist kind of attachment. And you attach this tube with the olive shaped tip and has a little bend in it. So it's sort of crooked and it's intended to push into an orifice and inject things like, well, lubricant for calving, calving, a, a, you know, birthing a calf or, um, you know, deworming medication in the mouth of say a goat. It's going to yep. bite a plastic one, you know, so use metal. And these things are not expensive. For under $10, you can get a very high quality one that's going to last you a lifetime. And you just suck up the lube in this thing by pulling the plunger back. And it has handles that are designed for slippery fingers. And you, I, I simply just push it inside me to the most it'll go, five inches or so, and squirt in 30 to 40 milliliters of, of lube. And it's only in the rectum. It doesn't get into the sigmoid colon. It's not deep enough. But that mm-hmm. doesn't matter doesn't matter because the moment you put a toy in there, especially one of any size, it's going to push that stuff ahead of it, right. which, is, which is exactly what you want. And so it's very important to do this. And I would say just search for a veterinary or vet drench, do a search for a vet drench. Yeah, I'll see if I can put a link of- to something I find. In fact, I mm-hmm. think you linked that when you, when you posted that thing. So I'll go and look for that. But yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's what I use. And I've used it for about a year and a half, two years now. And I just love it. It's just the greatest way to go. It's great for fisting. Um, I do, invariably, I do deep and large toy play. So for me, it's essential. Mm-hmm. Of course, I still put generous amounts of lube on the toy itself. I've mm-hmm. seen people lube up, you know, the person's hole and like the area around the anus and and then just push push an unlubricated toy in there. And that, that's a terrible idea. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's easier to hold onto the toy when it's not lubricated. I'll give you that. (laughs) (laughs) But boy, you, you want lube everywhere. You want more lube, you know, you want to be dripping lube onto the place. Yes, indeed. I use these uh, sort of hospital bed pads, if you will. They're two by three feet or so. They're made of plastic bag material and a very absorbent material and a sort of a paper, porous paper top surface. They're maybe a dollar each. And they'll last, you know, several toy plays if you're not too messy. And uh, I just spread those out on the floor or on the bed or whatever, if I'm going to be using lube. And then if there is any dripping or spilling, or you haven't got all the water out of you, you know, it, it, it absorbs it instantly and it really controls messes beautifully. 
it's a really great accessory to this kind of exploration. Mm. So two two things I'm curious about. One is you just we you know we got until this point we got deep into our conversation pun always intended um, before yeah. we even talked about cleaning out. Oh yeah, no, that's a whole other conversation, isn't it? Well, it's I, and multiple enemas is what I've heard, and I you know yeah. usually I refer people to that amazing website called I think it's like how to clean out your ass dot wordpress dot com or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've read um, it. Yeah, it, you know, translated into 11 different languages because it'll give you all the information you need to do all this. But the point being, with this type of more extreme toy play, um, those couple different, how many enemas do you do? I mean, you know, describe it oh, for me if you would. It, it's the one downside of this kind of play, in my opinion. It, it, it just is so hard to clean out effectively. It really is hard. It's not impossible by any means. It just takes a while. It can take me two hours of, of going back every 10, 15 minutes and flushing again, and there's still stuff coming out. And a friend of mine calls it product coming out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice word for it. <laughs> I guess it is product. Um, it's also you know, called mud. And you know we do everything we can to keep from calling it shit, frankly. Right. <laughs> and, and I'm squeamish about this shit. So you know, for me, I want to be, I don't want to be having it on my skin. I don't want to splash it on the floor. I don't want to have to clean the toilet. It's like, oh my God. It's, <laughs> uh, a, it sucks. It's a testament to how much you enjoy that kind of play that you're willing you're to right. go through that, even though you're squeamish about it. So true. It's absolutely right. And, and you know, it is worth it. I don't want to downplay that. It's very much worth it. So what I do is this. Uh, we have a, a bathroom here in the house that has a bathtub right next to the toilet. And the shower is actually a hand shower that's up on a sort of a holder. You can take it off a holder and use it as a hand shower and whatever. Uh, so um, our faucet valve can be turned on at any temperature. Uh, and then there's um, a little on-off valve. So there's a temperature handle and a, and a flow handle on, on the shower valve on the wall. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I set it to be lukewarm in temperature. And I uh, take off the shower head handle, the little hand shower thing. It just unscrews by hand, really easy. That's a standard thread, very common. And I made my own enema hose, if you will. It's actually more of a colonic hose, to be honest. It's a piece of latex tubing. For those of a technical mind, it's about three quarters of an inch in diameter. It's heavy wall. And I glued a rounded vinyl tip onto the end, which is an industrial pipe cap. It's very rounded, very smooth. Mm-hmm. And, I punched, and I punched a bunch of holes in the thing on the tip and around the sides of the front end of it. The first inch or two, it's all perforated. So there's lots of ways for the water to get out. It's a car wash. Yeah, it's an interior car wash. Kind of that. And so then on the other end, I just have a plastic fitting, which is a barb fitting for the tubing to st- shove in there. And I have a zip tie on that to make it tight. And the other end is threaded to match the half inch uh, non-tapered. Uh, pipe thread that is the standard shower handle thread on the end of this hose for the hand shower. So I take off the hand shower thing and I screw on my little hose fitting. And on that hose fitting, I also included a little on-off valve. These things are little inline valves you can put on a shower arm and and be able to turn off your shower head Mm -hmm. with a little flip of the switch. That's really helpful, super helpful. Because if you just turn the water on and then try and stick the thing in, it's going to be spraying everywhere and it's kind of a mess and I'm a, kind of a neatnik. So uh, I keep the flow off. I insert the little tip, which is very easy. And then I turn it on and it feels great when it starts to flow. 
And I just slide it in and slide it in and let, let myself fill and release and fill and release and slide it in more. And there's all kinds of product coming out. And um, I get in, I can get in as deep as like 30 inches or so. It's pretty amazing. Hmm. Uh, I usually don't. I usually go in about 16, maybe 18 inches, which gets you up into the transverse colon or just at the beginning of it. Just the beginning, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's really good because if you're going to be engaging in deep play and you're not super constipated, you need to clean out a lot of the transverse colon, which is after the sigmoid colon. So it's pretty deep in there. Now, to be able to do that effectively, I don't really want to get a tube all the way into the transverse colon because, first of all, it can be uncomfortable. Um, I don't think it's all that safe, to be honest. I want to be sure and, and you know feel no cramping and be okay with that. So I just go in 16 to 18 inches deep and I, and that has been enough. And I just let myself fill up a bit and release. And I also wear these industrial rubber gloves. <laughs> wish about mm-hmm. this shit that I, I cover up. Right. So I've got elbow length, uh, heavy duty industrial rubber gloves, uh, which I think are great because you don't have to worry about, you know, bacteria getting on your hands and your fingernails and all that. And, mm. you know, uh, it, it works out great. So I'm sitting on the toilet. I flip up the seat and I sit right on the rim. I turn on, I put in the hose, I turn on the water flow and I just inch it in, you know, two inches at a time. I just slide my hand and grip it and push it in, slide my hand, grip it, push it in and sort of step it in like that, to, you know, seven, eight times till I feel that it's deep enough and it's lukewarm water. So it's not uncomfortable. It doesn't cause cramping. Cold water can cause cramping, which is mm-hmm. not helpful. Um, and then I just keep flushing until it just comes out clean. And then I pull it out and clean it off and shut off the water. And then I wait 10, 15 minutes until I feel like either I have to go to the bathroom or I need to see what's going on. I'll sit on the toilet and push a little bit and I'll always get more water coming out. And sometimes that water is not clear. And if it's not clear, I don't play. I go back and I flush again. Mm-hmm. I have done that, you know, three, four times um, over the course of an hour or even two before I really know that it's coming out clean. Mm, Definitely in a time investment. Definitely. Yeah, it is a time investment and you can't rush it. I've tried using a fleet enema, the drugstore enema you can buy. um, And that was interesting, actually. I need to explore a little more of that. But it's basically a small amount of liquid you you squirt into you and you wait until you feel like you have to expel it uh, because your body's cramping. And I sit on the toilet and I expel a whole bunch of fluid. They tend to dehydrate your body because it stimulates the lining of the uh, large intestine to put out a lot of water and, and flush out whatever's in there. Interesting. Yeah. I wasn't aware that that was part of the action of it. It is. <clears throat> but That's I did know. It's a type of sodium, like uh, potassium sodium or something or other. And it stimulates that kind of expulsion. And it's what you use. Uh, in many cases, before a um, a uh, rectal exam, what do you call it, uh, endoscopic, you know, uh, colonoscopy. To prepare for colonoscopy, you have to clean out your colon, and this is what they often recommend. Right, and what I had heard is that it's a different type of sodium, and this is exactly what you're talking about, but the way that I understood it was a different type of sodium, so it causes... Uh, intestinal cramping, basically, and which is the last thing you want before any kind of sexy time play. Well, that's for sure. Yeah. So I'm not sure it's the right way to go. I just thought it could be interesting to try it and see if it helps, you know, do that and then flush with water to eliminate all 
all the sodium and all the cramping. Mm-hmm. And I tried it once. It was pretty effective. I'm not conclusive about it yet. I think just plain water is fine. You don't have to buy the thing and have it around and risk of the questions or embarrassment of discovery, if that's a thing. Or mm-hmm. For me, it, it's simply water. It's just fine and it's perfectly safe. There are people who will swear that an enema bag is the safest way to go. And I have found them to be really slow and not as effective as using just the flow from your shower hose, mm-hmm. the hand shower hose. You just want to be careful not to build up a lot of pressure inside you. Right. Low flow. Yeah, very low flow. When I, If I hold the nozzle upright, there's a tip opening that squirts water up, you know, like a little fountain. And I'll have it squirt up less than a foot in height. Mm-hmm. It gives you an idea of how little flow there is actually happening. Mm-hmm. And that is plenty. Uh, and, and with that, generally, if my diet has been what it should be, I can, because that is a factor, um, I can clean myself out in 15, 20 minutes and be acceptable for deep you know, fisting play or toy play. Nice. That's pretty quick. That's lovely. So, yeah, it's bad. So what size toys are you playing with? There's two more things I want to cover. We're going to see if we can squeeze this in here. Another pun intended. And one would be um, what size toys are you playing with now? And um, the other would be just the whole question of, and certainly I'm interested in reinsure, reassurance around fecal incontinence. Everybody's always worried about that, especially. And if we do it in that order and you talk about the size of the toy first, see, this will be good. It'll work well. <laughs> yeah, I get that. And, and I had concerns about that myself, um, of course, because it kind of it sounds logical. But because something sounds true doesn't mean that it is true. So, and that's what I found. So the short version on the incontinence question is that it's not a thing at all. Mm-hmm. If you uh, don't listen to your body and you tear yourself while you're, you know, playing and you, you know, can perforate your, your intestine and all kinds of, there's some really dangerous, very negative outcomes, um, even the risk of death. If you perforate your, your colon, if you don't get emergency surgery within a couple of hours, you could very easily die from toxic shock. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these are important things. But basically, the bottom line is that your anus and rectum and colon are designed to be elastic. They're stretchy. Now, how much they stretch is a matter of training and slow adaption. And so, as I slowly expanded into, pun intended, bigger and bigger <laughs> diameters, you know, my opening and, and the uh, conduits downstream from the opening all adapted slowly along with me. And it was never really a problem. And mm. then, of course, depth is just a matter of how deep you choose to stretch. And so now the toys that I'm playing with currently um, are just about as large as I think I will ever want to go. People do go larger. I'm just not sure I really want to or need to because I'm getting so much of where I'm at now. Now, there's a, the difference between the toy I, that feels the best for me at this point and the toy that I can accommodate. I can accommodate a larger toy. It's challenging. It's a really intense experience. I can't use it for long. Um, it has given me several amazing climaxes. Um, it's stunning to be the on the other end of it and manipulating that toy because it's a fucking giant thing going into my little body. Mm-hmm. So it, it has you know upsides and downsides. And it is uh, about a three-inch diameter 
that translates to about a nine and a half inch, maybe even 10 inch circumference. Mm -hmm. Um, Circumference is tricky for people because it's hard for people to imagine what that actually looks like. So that is thicker than a beer can, a good amount thicker than a beer can, uh, thinner, narrower than a, you know, what, two liter soda bottle or whatever. I'm not a soda drinker, but yeah, the the difference between <laughs> circumference and diameter. I have a um, a link that I'll put in the show notes that will it, it, you can put either one in. You can put circumference in, and it'll solve for mm-hmm. diameter and the other way around. Yeah, I use those to when I'm toy shopping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so uh, I'd say a three inch diameter is about my comfortable maximum, uh, safe maximum in terms of where I'm at for training and and uh, you know acceptance. Mm-hmm acceptance in my body and then um so that that is made by mr hankey and it's called the largo mr hankey largo you can look it up and see and that's the toy that's like my maximum comfortable ish so does it come in just one size or what size do you have it does it's one of the few toys they make that is only one size got it and so um that toy uh i don't use it very often and it's really challenging, and I have to use other toys before it to be able to accommodate it at all. Mm-hmm. You have to stretch and sort of get everything relaxed. You see, once you've trained to the point where you can take larger diameter toys, you still need to go slow and let your body relax and expand and, and be comfortable with these larger diameters. And then it's easy to insert it from you know the start or whatever. But you've got to start a little slower in most cases. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest one you can accommodate? But well, yes, pretty much. I can take about an 11-inch uh, circumference um, at my opening and, and actually a little larger, deeper in. Strangely, my opening is the constriction point, my smallest point at this point. Mm-hmm. Inside, I can appear to be comfortable with 12 inches or so. So, uh, you know, if the toy is soft silicone, as they should be, they really should be soft. If you have mm-hmm. the option, it's the softest one available when you're ordering toys, my, my advice, my suggestion, that mm. soft means the effective uh, diameter is smaller because, right. the t- you know, the tightness of your opening is going to squish that toy to be smaller. And so you'll find that to be helpful. So now when, when I talk about the insertion from the start, I couldn't take a Mr. Largo or a, a Largo toy and just, you know, work it in. It would take a long time and be uncomfortable and because I'm not warmed up. Once I'm warmed up, I can do it. It's still challenging, but I can do it. Now, my favorite toy at the moment yes. is kind of a hybrid. And I use it on my fucking machine because that's a really fun thing to do. But it takes some explaining. There's a toy out there called the Goose. It's a very simple design. It's basically a long, tapered neck, uh, not too large in diameter, really. And then it swells to kind of a bulb at the end with a pointed tip. Imagine, if you will, a, a sort of stylized goose head and neck. If you take your hand and gather your fingers and thumb into a little cluster uh, pointing forward, take that sort of general idea of your hand, you know, it gets bigger on the thumb and then there's a wrist that's the thin part and then your forearm slowly swells. That's really what it is. Yeah, the positioning of the hand that you have to do to do fisting. Yeah, or it's recommended for sure, especially to start. Uh, yeah, so... There are, I think, three or four sizes of this toy. And I had a small one for a while, and it just wasn't big enough, honestly, anymore. I wanted longer length and a little bit bigger volume. So I have a medium-sized goose. And I've adapted it to use on the fucking machine because it does not have a vacuum lock 
uh, hole in it. So I have to use a, a type of adapter. And what I do is, I, because I like these uh, sheaths to masturbate with on my cock, you know, these lubricated, uh, gummy, real stretchy sheaths, I have a number of them that have that I've bought, and they they tear, they fail, they're they're really crappy product, you know, quality control. But I kept them because I thought maybe I can do something with these. I don't know, I won't throw them away. Well, sure enough, I realized, well, hey, I could take one of these old gummy sheaths and stretch it over this goose toy. Um, I turned one into a tube instead of a, a sort of a you know cap and a closed end, cut the tip off put it around the bottom shaft. I put a couple of stretchy ball stretcher rings around the middle neck or the wrist of the toy. Uh, and then one of these, oh, the tip of it as well. So now it's this vinyl PVC toy that I would never use just naked on me because it's PVC, now has this coating on it, this covering of gummy, cushiony material. And it's also got ripples and swells and some surface texture. Uh, but it's still a material I don't want to put inside me. And also, I don't want to lose any of those components inside me as the machine is fucking me, you know, with this assembly. Important, yes. I don't want to lose that stuff inside me. No, thank you. So um, what I do is I take something called a fisting mitt. And this is a latex thing they make for fisting. And it basically is a uh, basically elbow length glove with no fingers. It's just a club end, like a blunt end. And you put your whole hand in there. And it's, uh, it helps to kind of streamline your hand and keeps you from scratching, you know, with your nails or whatever. Um, I don't find them that great for fisting, honestly. But what I do is I take one of those and I roll it back like a condom. And it's, it's literally acting like a giant, super thick condom. And I'll roll it down over this assembly of cushiony, stretchy, gummy rings and sleeves, you know, over the dildo. Mm-hmm. And I'll just roll it all the way down over the base that attaches the machine. And now I have this latex coated assembly that is a shape that I created. <laughs> now, the beauty of this is that I can change the combination of what's under that, sh- that condom sheath and change the qualities of the toy. I can yes, if you like ripples, you can make ripples. You mm-hmm. absolutely yep. are a product designer. And it, it has now, I can add a cushiony tip to it, which is really nice. It's smaller diameter. And so I do that. So then I put this thing on the machine. I lube it up. I squirt some lube in me with my drench and I get down on my hands and knees and I grab the thing. You have to use like a, a washcloth or something to grab it. Otherwise it'll never be, you never hold onto it because it's so slippery. And I slowly start to guide it into me. I back up on it. The machine's not running yet. And because it has this smaller tip, which is the shape of the goose head and also the sheaths I add to it, uh, it's a gradual opening. And if I take my time in about a minute, minute and a half, I can have the thing in me to like the first stage, to the wrist. Mm-hmm. And and it feels amazing. It feels fantastic. It's just the right size. It's the right shape because I made it the way I know I like it. You know, there is no toy out there that is this shape. Mm. And so just having the availability of variation is really fun. And me being a designer and an explorer and an experimentalist, you know, for me, it's just a perfect kind of setup. So that's my favorite arrangement now. And so the way I make it lately, the way I assemble it lately, it's about 16 inches uh, maximum insertable depth. Um, I'd say it's about a two and a half inch diameter, roughly, maybe mm-hmm. three inch diameter at the hand, you know, at the, at the thickest part of the head and about the same at the base, mm-hmm. you know, thinner in the wrist and forearm area, if you will. And so that, with the fucking machine, you know, as it goes through the bend, there's this wonderful sort of 
compression and it's the head is sort of squeezing through the bend and then it just, uh, it pops through and it's just the most eye rolling, you know, jelly inducing pleasurable sensation. For Hard me. to stay on your hands and knees. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah sometimes <laughs> I'll even bring in like an ottoman to rest my chest on so I can just lie there and relax and just let it take me. It feels I, amazing. And so I, then as the machine, which has about an eight inch long stroke, which is variable, it strokes in and out. I can have it stroke in and out of the bend, which is mm -hmm. just mind bendingly pleasurable, pun intended. <laughs> uh, or I can have it go deeper than that. And then I get to experience the, the rings around the wrist going through the bend and also the base of the thing going through my anus. Because sometimes I'll add a ring at the base for a little bit of a pop down at full insertion. Mm -hmm. And so I can get all these different sensations out of this thing and I can change it up. If it doesn't feel good, I can stop, take off the sheath, which is really quick and easy, change the arrangement of what's on the dildo and put the sheath back on and try that. Oh my gosh. I had never considered the difficulties of big toy play in conjunction with the fucking machine. I hadn't even yeah. thought about that. Well, it's all about getting it inserted and started. Right. I mean, just as a straight uh, plain dildo that's just used as it is, my favorite there would be another Mr. Hankey toy called the Long John. The Mr. Hankey Long John comes in one size also, and it's a little smaller in diameter. It's about two and a half inches diameter. And that half inch makes a huge difference. You know, small increases in diameter in anal play make big differences. So don't, you know, if you're moving up in size, don't buy one that's an inch bigger in diameter. You'll never be able to use it. Well, not in the near future. Um, you know, go like quarter inch increments if you can. That that tends to work really well for a lot mm -hmm. of people, not mm -hmm. just me. So Long John is long. It goes in about 14 and a half, maybe 15 inches at full depth. Uh, and it's very gummy, you know, soft silicone, beautifully made, like all of their toys. And uh, I find that to be the most comfortable for longer duration play. And I love the depth of it. The tip is easy to start with and it goes, feels great going through the bend. It's just does everything right, this toy. It's just great. And I have actually tried that too with my same sheath thing. This is kind of fun. Mm. Do you have a remote on your sex toy machine? Well, it's corded. Yeah, it's a cabled remote. So there's a wire okay. metal box with a dial. And what brand? It's a Hismith machine. Yeah, yeah, I've heard those are the best. They're pretty good. You know, being a product designer, I can be very critical of these things. And I modify I modify virtually everything I've ever bought. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> and so I modified this machine too. I added a better bearing on the tip of it where the rod slides in and out of the body of the machine. Um, I've added uh, a stabilizer rod. It has these two sort of T-shaped feet. You know, and it can be slid up and down on the vertical of the T, so you can adjust angle and height. Right. Well, what happens is if it's pushing hard, it's going to kick itself back unless you strap it down to whatever it's on. But I play on the floor, and I don't want to put sandbags down or anything. So I took a closet rod, a wooden pole, about an inch and a quarter in diameter that you'd use in your closet. And I, I use little Velcro straps, and I strap it to the bottom of those two T feet. Mm -hmm little joint at the, between the vertical column and the horizontal floor element of, of each of the two legs. And that extends forward. And so I can hold this thing down and it stabilizes the base of the machine so it can't tilt, depending on if it's pushing or pulling. Can't run away from you. <laughs> yeah. 
right. Uh, and otherwise, it would be really kind of unmanageable with these larger toys because the forces go to the point where it will push itself over. So I use that sort of reaction rod, if you will, or stabilizer rod, and I put my my sort of hospital drape over it, that absorbent play pad. I put that on top of it and mm -hmm. also the remote. And I've got the remote up where my head is, where I can see it and reach it easily. And I just I'm, I have knee pads. I use these cheap foam, molded foam knee pads that are like $5. And they're great. I just can slip them on and my knees don't hurt on the tile floor of the bathroom. And it just works really well. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. It's a whole deal. It is so, it can get so complicated, but I love how you have basically modified everything to make it the most comfortable, the most exactly what your body wants. Yeah. Yeah. Well, remember surrender and a trust and this, that applies to a machine too. You know, mm -hmm. you have to trust the machine not to be so strong that it will injure you or trust that it won't conk out and run out of power when you need it or fall over when you're really into it, you know? So <laughs> yes. that just allows you to, allows me to, you know, to use an I statement, uh, allows me to relax and to open up and surrender and let go and, and therefore enjoy. And that's the whole point of this is enjoyment. Absolutely. Totally. Absolutely. So what would you say to people who are considering doing some deep toy exploration? And why well, deep and wide? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, that's a good question. You know, it's such an individual thing. Everyone's body will vary. There are people out there who have been engaging in angles, anal sex their whole lives and still can't get past the bend, no matter what they do. Mm -hmm. so my advice would be if you're having trouble going deeper than just the rectum and the bend is proving to be impenetrable, I would say start with a small diameter, very flexible toy. Um, square peg uh, makes a toy called the slink. The slink, yeah. That's what I talk about. Yeah. And that, that's very helpful for getting past the bend and slowly sort of teasing it open and getting used to the sensation in your body and maybe even relaxing it a little bit, although they're so rubbery, squishy, and so skinny that they really don't do much as far as training goes. But it will get you to trust it and to you know understand it better. The downside is that square peg toys are crazy expensive. Yes, they are. <laughs> I'm not, frankly, I'm not a huge fan of the company for a number of reasons, and that's one of them. I think their designs are quite uh, un uninteresting. They're mm -hmm. almost all very smooth, and smooth toys just bore me. So, you know, my your mileage will vary, I guarantee it. But that's just how I feel. Mm -hmm. And so there are a number of ma makers in China now that are selling toys. Some of them are just bald-faced knockoffs of toys that we have here from American makers or European makers. Um, but some of them are actually quite good, you know, reliable quality, safe material, and very inexpensive. You know, so you but, know people are going to want the links to those. Yes. <laughs> you, can find them, you can find them quite easily, too. If you go to um, AliExpress, A-L-I Express. Uh, oh, that, yes. That, that's, that's like that, that is like the home of a zillion trillion knockoffs. Oh my God, it's it's actually shocking and kind of depressing, but um, it is the consumer side of Alibaba, the famous Chinese mass marketing online vendor. Mm -hmm. um, and while I don't encourage um, patronizing China very much because I don't approve of their, their practices of intellectual property theft, um, there are cases where it's important to save money and on a thing you may not end up loving and that sort of thing. And so that's a good place to find starter toys. And there's one toy that I found that is a really good 
advanced or even not so advanced uh, toy, especially for strap-on play or machine play where someone else is pushing it. Uh, and it's basically like, say, a vacuum cleaner hose. It's corrugated, right? Only the corrugations are larger, so they're not as high frequency. And uh, it's all silicone, very soft, platinum-cured silicone, body safe. Uh, comes in black, which I prefer. Your mileage will vary. Uh, <laughs> and they come in all these different sizes. And so you can choose a size that is just a little larger than what you think you might be comfortable with. But the key is that it's very soft silicone. So it's going to be safe and comfortable. And those ripple toys just feel amazing when they're pumping in and out of you, especially when they go through the bend, which they do very easily because they're so soft. Interesting. So soft and big ripples is your preference. Yeah. So for like $30 or $40 even or less, you can get a toy that will be a wonderful starter toy to get into deeper play. Uh, whether it's one of these slink copies or one of these more corrugated looking ripply toys. And I'll send you a couple of links when we're done here and you can post them out for people. Yeah. How, because my biggest question of course is going to be, how can you trust that it's hundred percent silicone? Well, that's hard to say, you know, I have been working with silicones for about 40 years. Um, and so I, I know that chemistry inside out, I can identify the difference between a nickel cure and a platinum cure and, if there's any adulterants, like if they've added silicone oil to stretch it out and make it cheaper. And these toys, which I'm recommending, they don't do that with, and they are actually platinum cured silicone. Uh, so, you know, it's hard to know, especially with products from China, because there's an awful lot of cheating going on and lying. Uh, but with these particular toys, I feel pretty safe. Now, you can always put a condom over one of these toys, as long as you're not using an oil-based lubricant, um, silicone oil would be the exception there, of course. But if you're using water-based lubricants, rolling a condom over a toy is no sin. It's If it makes you more comfortable, go for it. Or even one of these fisting mitts. Yeah, the only reason that I don't recommend the, the condom solution is because when we were talking about phthalates before yeah. and that burning sensation... Mm -hmm. There's the, the, it's a first person anecdotal. It was a guy I was exchanging messages with on FetLife. And he talked about after he read the article that I wrote about phthalates and toxic toys and things that it finally sunk in uh, why he would have this burning. And we had this conversation going on. And so he said, I tried everything. I tried boiling them. I tried doing all kinds of things, to these toys and wiping down the alcohol, everything, nothing helped. They always burned. So I said, did you try putting condoms on? And he said, yeah. And it delayed the burning about six to eight minutes. And I put two condoms on, it would be like 10 to 16 minutes or something. Mm -hmm. So uh -huh. purely anecdotal, not a mm -hmm. chemist, which you have much more knowledge in that area than me. But to me, that was like, okay, so a regular condom is not going to prevent that transference. Yes, that's actually true. And the reason for that is that these oils that are plasticizers in vinyls, um, they will penetrate latex and they do it, can do it fairly quickly. If you have a vinyl toy and you lay it on a piece of like latex stockings, let's say, you know, or glove in 15, 10 to 15 minutes, there will be a kind of a bubble or a swelling where that toy was touching the latex. Oh my gosh. Yep. And that is not reversible. And so it does penetrate into latex and condoms are so thin that it can penetrate through to the surface uh, and be present on the surface, detectable in, in minutes. And so people who are very sensitive to these things will feel it. And some people are not sensitive to them and won't feel it. 
but the, it doesn't matter. It will be there. But mm-hmm. I'm talking about silicone toys and not PVC toys. And, and the silicone does not have a chemistry that will penetrate uh, latex. Unless it's been adulterated with phthalates or something, which is, would be a pretty obvious thing. It wouldn't feel, wouldn't feel it wouldn't right. It wouldn't smell the same either, yeah. It wouldn't smell the same. That's true. Yeah, it should be odorless. Mm-hmm. Okay, for yeah. anybody who's willing to take the risk, I will put those links up. <laughs> and so then, you know, this is another argument for this fisting mitt idea that I, I use, where it's just like a giant condom, because it's many times thicker than a condom and will resist any penetration of chemistry much better than a condom ever would, and also be reusable, easily washed, um, and uh, more resistant to, you know, germicidal uh, or, or biological penetration, too. Okay, I'm going to have to get a lot of links from you. <laughs> I'm going deep into the links. Yeah, we're going to get wide, the wide world, wide web with deep, slippery. <laughs> I cannot thank you enough for all this information, Lex. It has just been a delight. I knew that you were just a font of information in this regard. And so I really appreciate you coming and sharing all of this knowledge with us because I know that there are a fair amount of listeners out there who are like, yeah, yeah, pegging's fine, but there's this whole new world with the deeper, wider toys. So you've added a lot. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate that. And, you know, it really is worth experimenting with. You You may learn something. You may learn that it's actually not for you, and that's fine. You know, but just knowing it will will expand your horizon in ways you probably won't expect. And then also just being open to something new and seeing who's enjoying what out there can really help kind of demystify and take the curse off of, um, you know, things you might be incurious about or even fearful of. And that's always good. You know, it's true. The whole sexual exploration thing. One of the things that I like to say is that, Okay, at worst, as long as you're obeying all the safety rules, at worst, it can be something that you try and you go, yep, that was no fun. And it can even be like a bonding thing in a relationship, like you laugh about it later. That was a complete failure. But at, at best, it can be one more thing that you know brings you pleasure one more cool thing for the treasure chest of sexy time activities. Mm -hmm. And, And that is so, so valuable. Yeah, it is. I have a friend who I just turned on, like last week, turned him on to electrical play. And it's this guy I know that, that's into fisting and, you know, he's, he's a friend. And so he had heard about it and seen it. And he felt like I had in my early days of like, there's no way I'm going to put juice through my cock. And, but, you know, <laughs> I realized, well, you know, guys are coming hands free and I, they tell me it feels good. He knew people who did it. And I told him, well, you know, I've got a setup. If you want to try it, I can set you up. I've done that too for a number of people. And, uh, you know, with mixed results, I have to say. And so he was, yes. And so we did. And I let him turn the box up, you know, those little volume knobs. Because I told him, you know, you the, the best way to do this is for you to feel it and adjust it accordingly. And so he did. And I talked him through the various levels of sensation he can expect. And he reached the pleasure level. And he was like, oh, my God, this feels fucking amazing. And he's yeah, like, just like you did. <laughs> Boning and yelling with pleasure for an hour. And he never had a climax, but he knew he could. He said, Oh, I could definitely come with this. And so now he's he's a convert. He wants to get more. He wants to know more. <laughs> and and so that was uh, it took him out of courage, you know, and he's 70-something, this guy. So he'd been around a while and never went there. But when he did go there, there was suddenly this new vista opened up to him. 
Well, and how wonderful that that Vista is opened as an additional choice, especially at an advanced age when a lot of times cocks are not working the way they're supposed to anyway. Which is the case for him too. And, and this was another advantage in that he didn't need to have a hard on or need to you know, stimulate his climax himself. The machine takes care of the pleasure and the climax and you just lie back and enjoy it. <laughs> we humans are so you. inventive at all the different ways we seek pleasure. Well, I, I think it's all because we have evolved as pleasure-seeking organisms. And I think our sexuality is a big part of that. There's a book I highly recommend to people that mm. talks about this. It's fascinating. And it's called Sapiens, as mm. in Sapiens. Yeah, Sapiens is a, a book about the evolution of the human organism. Like, why does the penis head have that shape? What's that all about? Or, you know, why do we have orgasms? We're probably the only organism that has orgasms. Although there's mm. debate about that. But uh, it is a fascinating read and an easy read as well. And that author has written a number of just transformational books that I've read. It's just amazing work. Highly recommended. And, and it demystifies and, and takes the curse off of a lot of sexual exploration that we have. You know, humans used to, to sleep and live together in groups and often family groups um, of small groups of individuals when we were hunter-gatherers living in caves and what have you. And we'd all sleep in, in a pile together to keep warm and for protection and just camaraderie. It just it felt right. And that's that was beneficial to our survival. And people who did survive and go on to reproduce carried that propensity and that, that comfort. And there was a cultural evolution as well. And so the, the reason that humans make sound when they're having sex, almost everyone makes at least some sound for uh -huh. pleasure, is that it inspires others in the immediate vicinity to have sex too. <laughs> I love and, it. Yeah. And therefore get pregnant and have babies and increase their number. And it spreads that tendency across the population, you know, in classic Darwinian evolution. It's a fascinating book. That sounds amazing. And it, it made me think of a uh, podcast I listened to a long time ago and they might even still be up for consumption, even though he stopped making the moves called uh, sex is fun. <laughs> and I remember him relating a story about how he and his wife went to this big kinky, like camp out meet type of thing. So everybody's camping out in tents, right? Mm. So the sound travels. And he said in previous, you know, to that, they really hadn't been big noisemakers, mm. but they thought, you know, there's, there's something to this whole making noise thing. And so they just did this sort of fake it until you make it thing. Mm -hmm. And it built upon itself. And that was the beginning of it being a much more natural thing for them yeah. to make noises because they were in an environment that was non-judgmental, that was shame-free. And so, mm -hmm. you know, people were making noises all over the place. So yeah, yeah. the whole shame thing. That yeah. is one of the, the best reasons, I think, to be open to exploring new things is because there's so much countering and uh, in the opposite direction. There's so much shame and so much um, taboo. Mm. And that's what I work hard to fight against all the time, every day. Yeah, it's judgments. There's a lot of social judgment around alternative sexuality or exploratory sexuality. Mm -hmm. I, it, something occurred to me uh, about two years ago, and, and I just realized, because I was digging into what judgment is, right? And when people judge someone else, what they're really doing, all they're really doing is revealing their ignorance. Mm. Now, you know, this, this argument can be taken to extremes. You know, when we judge a murderer for killing someone, we're judging because we didn't know what it would be like to be that person in the moment and he had his reasons to kill or whatever. 
that that's kind of specious, to be honest, but it can go there. But really, in its most common and, and uh, accessible format, that concept of judgment being a revelation of ignorance. Well, if you believe in Jesus and you read the Bible, what does he say about judgment? When we understand someone's path, we suddenly can understand why they are the way they are and who, why they are who they are and what their choices have been. And, and so empathy comes from understanding. And understanding is the opposite of ignorance. Yes, and a, and a less eloquent way to put it is, is judgment comes from you're not like me and I don't understand yeah. it and I have fear about it, so I'm going to say you're wrong. It's That's like, right. right. There's a natural tendency to fear the unknown and, and therefore protect yourself from it. And often, you know, that, that can be beneficial to survival, of course. And fear is, is an important emotion, but very often it's a reaction to something that hasn't happened yet. Yes, and it can stop you from exploring the depths of your colon. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or the breadth of your, of your anus. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or the wounds around Mars. <laughs> I think this is a good point for us to stop. <laughs> yeah, people are hoping we will. <laughs> no, I think this is going to be a part one and a part two, because there's so much valuable stuff in here. I don't think I'm going to edit out a whole lot. But once again, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing all this with us. I so appreciate it, Lex. It's such a pleasure. And, you know, I always enjoy our conversations and I'm very open to continuing it. I, I hope that happens. And I hope that what we've talked about here is helpful for people or at least informative. I'm sure it will be. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I appreciate your invitation. Thank you. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that. Here is a disclaimer at the end of all that. I've linked to all the toys Lex mentioned, but I must say you are taking your own risks ordering from AliExpress. <laughs> I've had such a, um, uh, I've avoided them so much because, you know, they're just the, the place where all the knockoffs happen. However, Lex has these toys and knows his silicone, and these are the links he used to order these particular ones through these particular people. And like he mentioned in his interview, he does know his silicone. But my own fear of toxic knockoffs made me put this disclaimer in. And, you know, if it's a bad toy, at least you aren't out a lot of money because these are amazing prices. So there you have it. And I have one more announcement before... We are done here. The last announcement is we are on the cusp of Movember. We're coming right up on it. And you know what? These amazing people have been busy. They now have a well-thought-out resource for men who have had their prostates removed with a helpful guide for relationship dynamics, sexuality, and more. Please donate if you're able. And whether we're talking about prostate cancer, testicular cancer, men's health in general, or men's mental health, Movember is doing great things. I'll provide more details next time. Meanwhile, I will follow my past promise to begin my moving for Mo Movember because, you know, you can do different things for Movember. And I'm old enough to where I almost could grow like a mustache, but not quite. <laughs> So I move instead, right? I do my gym stuff. So in the past, my promise is to begin moving as soon as I receive the first donation. And that happened today. Thank you, Matt, for your very generous donation of $100. So starting October, so starting October 26th, my pledge is to do 30 miles on the elliptical and 
30 workouts with weights, and I will define that as at least five different weight-bearing exercises involving three sets of eight to 10 reps by the end of November. 30-30 is what I'm doing, right? I have a competition going with my daughter and her boyfriend. This will be the third round, and let me just talk about it briefly. My daughter wanted to inspire us to get to the gym more. So we've had this competition going, and it's a weightlifting competition. We all go to the same gym. Sometimes we all go and work out together, and that's kind of cool because it's great to have workout buddies. And then other times we work out alone, and the first time she kind of swept the whole thing. But the second time, because we do regular check-ins, like every couple of months we do a reset. So in case someone gets really far ahead, the other two people just don't go, oh, screw it, I'm not working out ever again, right? <laughs> so every two months, you have the chance to win. And the second month, man, it got so competitive between my daughter and I, holy crap. Three days in a row, I went and did every single exercise we had on this list because being a, a true millennial, she just whips up an Excel spreadsheet and makes it formulas and all kinds of way cool stuff for us to use, right? So we can all monitor where we are and who's winning. And you even get a little green highlight on the on the main page if you're if you're leading in that category, right? So I worked out three days in a row and did every single freaking exercise. And at the end of that third day, I went, okay. I'm 65 years old. My body is not built for this. You're supposed to like do a leg day and then take a rest and do a leg day and then take a rest, right? I'm leg pressing 320 pounds. I am strong. And that is the best part is that I am stronger and more in shape than I have been in a really long time. But in that moment, I thought, okay, it's time to just step back a little bit, be gracious and let youth win. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> so what do you win, you might ask? Well, what do you win? is we go out to dinner, the person who wins gets to choose where we go to dinner, they get to drink and not drive, and they don't have to pay for the dinner. So the other two people pay, right? So you all are helping inspire me to win this third round, God damn it! <laughs> I am determined. <laughs> and if I do, I'm going to be so proud because, hey, 65 years old. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, let's see here. Um, then the very last part and we're done pegging, pegging. And so we're done now. And so we're done with this. And so this podcast and so we're done pod. And so we're done. Peggingparadise.com is where you can find my blogs, podcasts, and my erotica. Pegging101.com offers informational pegging articles only with no kink. My podcasts are available through any of your favorite podcast downloader apps. You can also stream my podcast directly from my website if you like. And unfortunately, that's still a hitch and you have to download it to listen to it, but I'm working on that. The follow tab has links for you to subscribe to my blog. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, FetLife, Reddit, and TikTok. When you order exciting new toys from EnticeMe.com, please do remember to use that coupon code RIDER for free shipping. Please send your questions to ruby at peggingparadise.com. No question is too far-fetched too freaking amazing, or too fucked up. My listeners are going to learn along with you, so don't hesitate. Throw those questions in my mailbox or record your question on the voice app of your phone and send it to me. Thank you all so much for downloading and listening. You rock. Happy pegging and no shame. No shame.